As many of you know, we're doing the basement, and um, it's, it, it took me all of two years ago to finish one side of it, and then it's taken me nearly nine months to finish three quarters of it. And it's one of those moments that when uh, you're asked, hey, can you do this? Or you, you suppose, yes, I can. I'm clearly good with a hammer or a, a nail gun or whatever it is. And you go, yes, we can do this. And then you get into the project. And as anybody knows, if you're going to Home Depot for a project, you don't go there just once. You go there at least six times because clearly you've not measured or counted the cost enough or the cost keeps getting out of hand um, to finish it. And gratefully, it's just a basement. Nobody sees that except for us. And so therefore, there's nobody mocking me on the outdoors going, he clearly has no idea what he's doing. Now, if you saw it in the infant stages, you'd probably go clearly has no idea what he's doing. Uh, and so great, again, I'm glad that it, nobody here ever saw it. Now, some of you have been to the house and have seen some stuff and it looks cooler now, but it's just taken time, 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 time. I'm not a professional. I'm reminded of that this morning because of what Jesus says here uh, to this great crowd of people that are following him. Jesus' words seem are directed at this large crowd of people following him. And it reminded me of this question in my mind. What made you want to follow Jesus? Many of you have been Christians for a good long period of time. It's been 30-something years since I, I, I you know, trusted Christ for salvation. But even longer than that is being in the church. So 49 years, almost 49 years of, of going to church, being in God's word, being with him. But what made me want to become a Christian, to follow Jesus, to be his apprentice? See, here in this particular passage, we see that Jesus' teachings and his miracles have garnered him regional fame and the crowds are increasing. People are asking questions like, is this the Messiah? Is he the promised savior? Is he the one who's going to overthrow the government? Or is he just another prophet? Is he a fake? Is he a charlatan? Is he, you know, spiritual entertainment? For me, this passage does, uh, does not seem to be about Jesus wanting to weed people out, rather. But what I find here is that when Jesus turns to address the crowd, he's wanting to let them know, hey, my apprenticeship to come and be my disciple is for everyone. I think here he's, he's wanting... Uh, those people who are on the edges of being his disciples, his apprentices, to be clear-minded of what this new way of being human looks like. Jesus constantly is after the Pharisees because they've created some sort of spiritual first class where that if you, only if you do all the things right can you be part of God's you know, holy family. But Jesus is, is not about that. He's constantly saying to the Pharisees, you don't have the, the corner on all this. And so Jesus, when he turns to the crowd and says these really challenging words, he's not looking, in my opinion, to limit people, but to give them a clear understanding of what it takes. He's not looking to, uh, to weed out people, create an elite class, a God squad, as it were. However, Jesus does use some really severe language here to describe what it looks like to be an apprentice. I love what he said, or actually I do not like what he says here because it really, it grates on me a bit. He says, unless you hate. Now we think of Jesus, we think love and flowers and unicorns and all that kind of fun stuff, right? But we think when Jesus goes, unless you hate your mother, your children, your father, your wife, uh, your brothers and your sisters, even your own life. That's harsh. Unless you hate those things, Jesus says. 
you cannot be my disciple. So it kind of seems weird. How can Jesus ask us to hate our families, to hate our own lives, yet love our neighbors? That seems weird. What is Jesus getting at? Is that a contradiction? So if I hate my family, can I be a Jesus follower? For some of you, it's like, that's easy. I've got that down pat. <laughs> I have no problem with that. You know? But is that what Jesus is saying here? Further, he goes on, unless you die, unless you bear your own cross and follow me, unless you enter the way of suffering, you cannot be my disciple. To follow me equals suffering in some respects. Let's be honest, that doesn't sound all appealing. I'm not selling you. Jesus, you're not selling me here on, on exactly what it is to be a Jesus follower. So I, I have to hate people and I have to, uh, you know, die to myself. I have to, you know, carry it into the way of suffering. This isn't good. And then Jesus puts the cherry on top. Unless you renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus seems to be telling the people that you can't take your old life along the way. You have to let it go. And not in the frozen, weird Disney sort of way, but in an actual saying of severing ties with it. You cannot take what you are, who you are in this moment with you. You need to let that go and follow me. You have to leave it behind. There's a great uh, scene in the movie Interstellar, which I love this movie. It's fantastic. Uh, there's a scene where... Um, uh, where Jesus... Or Jesus, where Matthew McConaughey... I'm uh, sorry, that was totally bonkers to think, uh, where Matthew McConaughey at the very end of the movie is taking his ship and he's trying to get out of the black hole with, with his robots and, and uh, uh, Anne Hathaway and they're jetting along and he has to cut himself loose and says, says you have to leave it behind. He says Newton's third law or something along those lines and says, and basically in order to get her to where she needs to go, he needs to let go of her so that she can get, uh, she can escape. In a sense, he has to leave something behind and it was him. Jesus seems to be saying the exact same thing. Unless you renounce, unless you let go of your current life, you cannot be my disciple. And then Jesus comes at it another way. He says, count the cost. At the core, this seems to be the big thing to resolve is that who is Jesus? Who is just Jesus? Jesus is asking me to, to not like my family. He's asking me to leave all that I have behind and enter the way of suffering. Count the cost. Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus that is saying these things and what kind of life is he offering? See, the hearers had to resolve first uh, whether uh, Jesus was just spiritual entertainment, not worthy of devoting our lives to. Is he just a charlatan? Is he just a huckster? Who is this Jesus? But if Jesus is anything other than the Messiah, the Son of God, who takes away the sins of the world and brings the kingdom of God to bear on the world, we should just walk away. If he's anything other than the, that identity, then we should just leave and walk away. However, if Jesus is the things he says he is, if that is resolved, then Jesus seems to be telling the people that the life of an apprentice of his is one that thinks about all of the ways to become more like Jesus and then makes achievable plans. And if you're in business, you know that, that every once in a while, you get really smart people who come up with the idea of what's called SMART goals, right? Uh, and I'm not going to rattle off what they are because I honestly don't pay attention to them that much. But there is an aspect of this measurable, achievable, 
uh, really goofy, tangible, I don't know what, they, what it all stands for, but this idea that you don't do anything unless you know that you've got it all under control and you can actually achieve whatever it is that you set out to do. You don't set out these lofty goals like I'm going to walk around the world uh, and not have any possibility of, of actually re you know, refreshing your, all your stuff and have all your travel plans and do all this. You, you make a plan, but it has to be achievable. So Jesus seems to be saying that if you're going to be my disciple and you want to get closer to me and become more like me, you need to make plans and efforts that are actually reasonable and achievable. If you note the two stories Jesus gives here, one that builds up and one that tears down, one that is a building of a tower and one is going off to war, both require deciding if the endeavor is actually possible and if, that, if those people actually have what they need to be successful. As Jesus says, you don't build a tower if you don't have all you need. Money, time, materials, all of that, a plan, architecture, you know. You don't go to battle you don't go to war unless you're, uh, if you're outgunned and outnumbered. You consider, you take into account, you are clear-minded, you you're using your brain. Jesus seems to be saying that the life of the disciple counts the cost and uses that logic to proceed accordingly. And Jesus seems to be telling his disciples, yes, if you leave all of this stuff behind, you're going to need to have a plan. Because eventually you're going to get out here like in, the, like in the movie Forrest Gump. All those people follow Forrest Gump out into the desert after he was running. And they're like, he stops because he's done and he's tired. And he's just simply tired. And they're like, now what are we going to do? They didn't have this understanding of exactly what was happening. They just kind of went full bore and didn't have uh, a plan. So what I think Jesus is telling us in this story this morning is that he wants all people to become his apprentices, not just believers. And in order to do that, we must count the cost. We must make a plan. However, let me just put this out there as a note. This takes time. You don't climb a 14er by just coming from sea level and getting to the trailhead and then just start walking and then expect to get there and back without dying somewhere along the way. It takes time to acclimate. It takes time to get ready. It takes time to get your body into a place where you can actually accomplish it. Being a disciple of Jesus is very much the same way. It takes time. So first and foremost, take a breath. Give yourself some grace. God does not expect us to become spiritual giants from the day we say yes to him. He didn't do that with the 12. He brings 12 guys into him who have no clue of how this works. And yet three years he works on them. And then all the years after that, and only after a certain period of time of getting closer and closer, were they able to do the things that Jesus asked them to do, even to the point of giving their lives. Yes, yes, Peter was like, well, we're going to war. We're going to, we're going to cut them all down. And then he flees. It, clearly he wasn't prepared to do what he needed to do. It takes time. There's no deep end diving here. Jesus is not looking for us to jump into the spiritual deep end and swim. He'd rather have us dip our toe and slowly make our way and progress. Because Jesus often gives us a, a lot to, to give up. But what we give up is often given back, but in the proper order. To be enjoyed more than when you had it at first. Watch what this an apprentice will allow their loves to be reordered. Yes, Jesus says, hate your family, etc., etc. But what he's simply saying here is not so much like anger and frustration and cutting all ties, but what he's saying is 
Turn your love to God first. The great command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then the second is love your neighbor as yourself. However, we cannot love our neighbors, including our families, spouses, children, our lives. We cannot love them unless we have true love of God as first and foremost thing. And that takes time to reform our loves. But as we follow Jesus, we are enabled to experience his love for us, which gives us the ability to love him back. And in the end, those who love God with all of their heart are actually capable of loving their families better than they could had they not turned to God first. In a sense, we get it all back in the right order. We give all of God of our stuff. We say, I don't like this. Uh, I, I want to follow you. I want to follow you alone. Uh, I'm cutting those ties. And Jesus is like, great. I'm going to reorder it. You're going to love me. I'm going to love you. And, and then I'm going to give you this back. And you get to have this reordered love. You don't lose it. Jesus even says that anybody who gives up all this stuff in my name will find that he has received it back 10, 100 fold, something along those lines. So an apprentice will allow their loves to be reordered. Secondly, an apprentice of Jesus will let go of their former way of living. We've been going through the book, or we had been going through the book, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And he says this quote, which I think is apropos for today. If we insist on keeping hell, we shall not see heaven. If we accept heaven, we shall not be able to retain even the smallest and most intimate souvenirs of hell. In a sense, Jesus is saying, take up your cross and follow me. He's saying, I want you to take your life. And I want you to give it over to me in such a way that you renounce all of that behind and say, we're starting something new. We're starting a whole new life and you can't bring any of it with you. In the same way that Egypt, uh, uh, where the Israelites were for all that time, they didn't, they were said, don't take anything from there. This is your break, new life out of slavery into new life. You know, don't bring that loon, that old way with you, leave it. In the same way, Jesus is telling his followers, if you want to be my apprentices, you've got to learn to do life my way. And the only way you can do it my way is to leave everything that you did before behind. So it's the same thing as we with loving God. When we slowly, over time, let go of our own old method of life and adopt his, we actually receive back a life that is much more like Jesus, much more capable, much more resilient, much more uh, uh, has the ability to endure suffering and pain and, and crosses and things of those nature. It'll be able to, to enjoy prosperity and share it with others. In a sense, what we lose for God's sake, we are given back in right order. So an apprentice will allow their loves to be reordered. An apprentice will let go of their former way of living. And lastly, an apprentice will do what they are enabled to do. This is where the rubber meets the road. Loving God and loving neighbor and living like Jesus did does not happen on its own. I think the evangelical church in America, uh, maybe worldwide, has, very, has become much more believism. And what I mean by that is that we have simply said, oh, yes, you say yes to Jesus on the checkbox and you're good to go. And here's your free ticket out of hell. And that's that's it. You're done. And every once in a while you can fall asleep doing a, a devotional with the Bible on your head and you'll suddenly know all the Psalms. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, here's a soup kitchen once a year, whatever it is that you want to go do. Um, Jesus is saying, listen, this whole discipleship thing doesn't happen on its own. I say God saves us. Yes. Uh, by his grace and we believe in it through faith and and we receive his salvation and we become brand new beings we are born again all that happens 
We don't have an issue in this room about that at all. But there is a great scripture that says we work out our salvation through fear and trembling. We put effort into following Jesus. It, it, he doesn't heal somebody and then leave them on the side of the road. He says, follow me. And following me means exercising the muscles in my legs. It means, uh, it means going where he is and doing what he does and being with him. We must work out our apprenticeship with him, not only individually, but also corporately as a, as a group of people who are following him, a church. So we count the cost. We count the cost. Jesus is not saying in this particular passage, count the cost as if it was a warning that says, I'm sorry, unless you guys are all counting the cost, you can't come and follow me. I'm sorry, it's, we've only got a few Jesus tickets and uh, unless you guys have all counted them and, and filled out the necessary forms, you can't be a follower. And he's saying, listen, all of you can come, but you have to be willing to put in that work. You have to be willing to put in the effort. He says, I did everything for you so that you are now enabled to come follow me. In a sense, he's saying, so when we count the cost, we basically ask this question. What can I do today to put myself in a spot to be influenced by the love of God and his presence? Do I have what it takes to do that? Do I have what I need? Do I have all the necessary resources? Do I have the time and the energy and the means? Am I trying too much? Every year, well, you know, there used to be like this, this whole idea of a discipleship campaign in some churches. You're like, okay, now we're going to be a disciple for the next three months. And you get a book and you do all the things. And then, but you decide at that moment, do I have what it takes to do this thing? In a sense, every once in a while, we all get to the point where we're like, oh, I need to pray more. So I'm going to get up at five in the morning and I'm going to um, be up with the dawn and, and uh, I'm going to pray three psalms and read five passages from the Old Testament, especially in Chronicles with names and stuff. And, and, then, and then I'm going to write these books of prayer and then I'm going to be, oh, it's going to be amazing. And you get up the first morning and you get the coffee and you're like, yes, right on. And then the next morning you're like, snooze, snooze, snooze. You're like, I counted the cost, and it's not worth it. I think oftentimes we end up counting the cost, and we get too, either too deep too quick or, or, or too shallow. Well, I think what God wants us to do to follow him is just to do what we can. Jesus is not demanding spiritual perfection from us. However, he is saying, if you want to get closer to me, you got to put a little effort into it. Do small things. So, our response I think Jesus wants everybody to follow him. He's not creating a spiritually elite class. He's creating an everybody class. To everybody can come and be a part of him. And each one of us is on our own journey. Each one of us is on our own track with God in some way. And there isn't this place where we get to where we're like, I've made it. There isn't, it, it, there isn't this like mountaintop where you get to hang out with Moses and Elijah and you get transfigured and have a glowy face. That's not what he's talking about here. But he was saying is that each one of us is on a journey with God and Jesus wants, to get, wants us to get deeper and deeper with him. And he's provided means to do that. So we should respond to Jesus' commands here by picking one aspect of being an apprentice of Jesus and then work on it. Maybe you want to draw closer to his love. Maybe you want to be someone who, who, uh, who wants their whole loves to be reordered. What do you need to do that? How can that work? We have resources here that I have tons of resources that you can borrow uh, or suggestions. If you want to know how I can get deeper in prayer, how, how I can uh, uh, read the Bible a little bit more, uh, 
you know, what are some of the ancient practices that, that Desert Fathers and people who have gone well before us have done? I can help you with that. But pick one. Decide what you want to do. Maybe, uh, maybe it's not reordering your loves. Maybe it's reordering your, your way of living. Hey, hey Jake, I, I don't want to uh, do this thing anymore. I'm tired of this particular baggage from hell still hanging on. How can I get rid of that? Come talk to me. We'll work that out. We'll find small steps to take to get rid of that. You know, God has given us the ability through his spirit to, to work on the way. Maybe you, uh, uh, maybe you just want to learn how to discern God's voice, to know what he's saying. Come talk to me. We can work on that. But whatever it is, our response is decide what to do. And then ask your question, what do I need to make it happen? How can I count the cost? Do I need to set an alarm? Do I need to create space? What are the obstacles to the way of, of, of getting closer to God? And do it consistently with grace and mercy towards yourself. Listen, I know what it's like to, be, uh, uh, to feel like you need to get on some sort of spiritual fast track. So you can get to the thing where you're in that elite thing. Jesus is like, no, just come be with me. And if you end up sleeping in accidentally, that's cool. Because God was there anyways. I think God does his best work in me when I'm sleeping because I'm not in the way. So do it consistently, but with grace and mercy. If you got up on a Saturday morning and you had all intentions to pray, but because Bisquick pancakes sounded better at the moment, God is with you while making pancakes. It's not like he goes away. It's not like he runs away, but he'll maybe give you a thought and you, and you can praise him for it. And somehow in that moment, you're slowly being transformed into the image of Jesus. Counting the cost, reordering your lives, reordering uh, your loves. This is all stuff God is doing already in you. So my, my, my encouragement to you is for just to join him in what he's doing. Let's take a moment in silence and remind ourselves of kind of what maybe God has talked to us about this morning and uh, and thank him for it. Let's just